don't cry You can rely on me, honey well, welcome everyone to the AXPX podcast, episode 26. We're nearing our 30s. Uh, I'm your host, Sean DeRager, and with me is Joey Avalos. Hey, Sean. How you doing, man? Doing good. Um, it's, been a, it's been a pretty uh, pretty good week. I'm glad to finally, I'm in you know, more of a groove with the podcast, so I'm feeling good that, uh, that I'm able to kind of do uh, manage the three kids, manage the crazy job, and do this <laughs> on the side, so... So and also, also you had your first uh, skeptic meetup. Yeah, uh, let's talk about that really quick before we bring our our guest Greg Horton on. Um, I had my first skeptic meetup, and um, we had a grand total of one person show up. <laughs> <laughs> got to start somewhere. So man. yeah, you know, you got to start somewhere. I was at first, I was a little bit bummed, but um, it, the the person that showed up was um, it was it was great to talk to him, and he's kind of on his own journey, and. Uh, you know, with with religion and coming out of uh, more of a contemporary Christian evangelical uh, background, kind of more he's exploring and and um, so it's good. It was good to meet up with him and talk to him and and you know he said the one thing he said was he goes you know you're the out of all my friends and everyone that I know he goes you're the only one that I can talk to this stuff about. So I mean that made just this having one person show up worth it. Yeah, that's so, a win. Yeah, so I'm gonna keep doing it. So if you're listening to the show and you're in the Temecula area, uh, I'm gonna try to do one not this week but next week. I'm just gonna. I mean, it's an excuse for me to get out and drink some beer. So you know, <laughs> really not too, you know, uh, bummed if nobody shows up because I'll talk to the bartender and drink. <laughs> you know, there you go. But um, but it was good. Uh, you know, I I feel like, you know, I, you know, like I said, Joey, you gotta start somewhere. And you know, we'll just kind of see where it goes. I'm, I'm, I was horrible at follow up with making sure people who'd committed on the Facebook page would actually show up. So I, you know, lesson learned, and I'll, I'll we'll go from there. But anyway, um, I want to get to our our guest today. Um, we've mentioned him briefly on on past past podcasts, but our guest today is Greg Horton on Twitter. He's known as uh, Twitter. Did I say Twitter? Twitter. He's known as ex pastor. And uh, Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Uh, I want to apologize for having a total brain fart on the last show because I totally forgot your name and I, all I remembered was the Twitter handle. That's <laughs> so, fine. It works for me. <laughs> we're in, a, we're in a, uh, an age of, of Twitter handles, I guess, mm-hmm. being our identities. Well, um, let's see here. Sorry, I had to take a drink of water. Um, so, Greg, uh, you kind of came to my attention because our a friend of the show, Rob Davis, had kind of uh, let me and Joey know about the interview you did, uh, not really interview, but the, the dialogue you had with, with Trip sure. Fuller um, that they'd put up on the Homebrew Christianity podcast. And that was kind of when you kind of came on my, on my uh, radar. And um, it was a really, I mean, I, I, I found the Homebrew Christianity podcast a few years back. I listen to it every now and then. It's not on my normal rotation of podcasts. Um, and I felt like that conversation was kind of the, the most kind of most open and honest I'd heard trip be, um, in recorded form, you know, uh, like I said, I hadn't listened to a whole bunch of his podcasts, but I think, I think your friendship with him and the, uh, not necessarily the first setting, but when you guys moved into a more intimate setting, yeah. you were able to kind of bring out some kind of open and honest answers. 
Yeah. Well, the second setting, quite frankly, was at my friend's garage. <laughs> okay. Uh, the first, the first night, there was, it was a kind of an eclectic group of people who were skeptics and pastors mm-hmm. and Christians and philosophers, and so I tried to be a little more, um, you know, respectful of their uh, aversion to the kind of language I use and the kind of questions uh-huh. I can ask. Uh-huh. So, um, before we get into talking about that, I wanted to kind of get a background on you yourself. I mean, your Twitter handle is ex-pastor, so that's kind of a hint. Yeah. <laughs> what your where your journey, um, where you came from. So um, I guess we've had a bunch of these interviews in the past with people, like full-on, like episode-long interviews on people who've come from Christianity and, and come into more atheism. Do you, do you find yourself more on the atheist side of things or agnostic side of things? Where do you kind of, because everyone yeah. always wants a label, you know, but where do you kind of lean honestly I have to avoid the label quite frankly I, right. I teach co- I teach college okay uh, and so I teach English philosophy and humanities and it's not good for my students to walk into a classroom with me especially a philosophy or humanities class already assuming you know an atheist or, or whatever so I avoid the term atheist and quite frankly Dawkins little seven you know that seven tiered system he's got of <laughs> how he uh, I hate yeah. that Mm-hmm. Because I, I can't relocate myself on the damn thing, so I, I tend to avoid it. So I tend to use the word skeptic just to describe myself because uh-huh. I think it's – and what, the way I explain it to my students is um, I, 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 I've, I've left the building clearly. I'm not in the faith anymore, but I have not come so far that I'm going to make an assertion that there is no God. I think it's you know statistically – or I'm sorry, that's the wrong word um, – rationally. Um, traditional modes of theism strike me as, as uh, nonsensical. So if there is a God, or whatever that concept you want to talk about, then it doesn't look anything like a theist God, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And that's why process is so appealing to some of these guys who and women that really, really, really are bright, and they're trying to be intellectually honest. And so that's how I got involved with that conversation with Tripp. Okay. So if that, if that, that's a long answer to a short yeah. question, but no, I, I don't like labels, and but skeptic works for me. Okay. Um, so where do you come out of? Like, do you come out of a, like an evangelical church, um, non-denominational? Where? What's your kind of journey into skepticism? Well, let me give you the brief. Sure. Uh, early life Pentecostal assemblies of God. Uh, okay. That didn't work. That didn't work well for me. I never could speak in tongues, and uh, being bad at speaking in tongues makes you a bad Pentecostal. So, <laughs> uh, several years later, I probably came back to the faith um, through some life circumstances. And eventually got into ministry uh, through an independent, charismatic, evangelical church uh, that was planted here in Oklahoma City by a friend of my older brother who's been a Southern Baptist music minister for the better part of 30 years now probably. And he, he and I talk a lot. Clearly we disagree. But I trusted him at this point to recommend someone to me. So I worked through that church. Uh, things went badly, bipolar pastor and all that. I took over, um, uh, got a divorce, met my second wife. I'm sorry, third wife. Yeah, I'm done with marriage too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> met the third wife uh, there. We were together for a while, and we kind of left the church at that point. But uh, a gentleman named Jeff Zerhide, who was a pastor of First Baptist Oklahoma City, uh, kind of reeled me back in because they were doing this amazing work downtown with homeless and poor, and they were doing free medical, free dental, you know, as much as they could. And that, more than anything else, the ethics of Christianity appealed to me, if they were actually going to live that out. So we stayed there till he moved back east, and then I went over to Southern Nazarene to uh, finish up my master's degree in theology, and I had some great experiences there, uh, worked, uh, did a couple of uh, um, emergent things, one with the first church, the Baptist place, and then uh, they asked me to do another one here at First Nazarene, Oklahoma City. Did that for a little while, 
got in conflict with the senior pastor over some, you know, partly my fault, quite frankly. You can't talk about beer in a sermon in a Nazarene church, and I was a dumbass to think otherwise. <laughs> uh, so that was the end of my ministry, but it was another year probably before I had processed everything I learned in my graduate program and what was going on in my life to be able to say, I'm sort of done with this Christianity thing. And I, you know, I chronicled it obsessively, probably too much, like ego masturbation style uh, on the blog. And so I remember that when I wrote the, pa- the, the post, the post-Christian parish, uh, it was the beginning of the end of my uh, readership on there because once you, once you run a blog that's based on faith and then you walk away from the faith, uh, your readership tends to get cut down by about 90 percent wow and that was a it was a big it was a big it was a big deal to me to finally come out and just say it you know i, I guess probably like being gay i suppose I, i'm just going to come out and say i'm not a christian anymore and, and living in oklahoma that was um you know yeah put me in a distinct minority clearly did, did you uh have a bunch of readers kind of uh contact you personally what was that like did, did you just stop seeing hits on the website what was uh the experience oh, yeah. there the traffic went from, you know, we were, it was never huge. I mean, every once in a while I'd get a, a day where I'd have, you know, a couple thousand uh, yeah. unique page views. And most days it was between 500 and 1,000. But it was a really steady readership of people that I liked and uh, had had a good conversation with over the years. And so a few of them did reach out and say, you know, kind of the are you sure sort of thing and, and tried to get me to redefine categories so I could stay inside the building, which seems like bullshit to me. If you're going to redefine the categories, uh, then all you're doing is this sort of, you know, semantic way of making yourself feel that that, that existential crisis isn't really happening. Uh, so it was easier for me just to be honest about it. I did get a lot of support from friends. Uh, I still meet. Uh, the reason I did the trip interview was because Todd Littleton, who's a Baptist pastor friend of mine, we meet regularly for lunch. He's still a good friend. But I did lose uh, professional ministerial friends as well. Uh, so it was kind of a mixed bag. Hmm. What it did allow me to do was surround myself with people that uh, were supportive of the decision to, to walk away. Uh, at the same time, it made me more sympathetic to those who decided to stay in. And, and I, because I have friendships, then I forced myself to talk about faith in ways that I think don't offend those friends, but is still honest to where I am and hmm. where, what I want to say about where they are. Yeah. Uh, now, when you, when you walked away from, quote, unquote, you know, the faith or whatever like that. Uh, was that more the that kind of Baptist leanings or, or were you? Because, oh, yeah. you know, like there's so many other denominations, like I've discovered, you know, Episcopalian and the UCC, stuff like that. Had you encountered those types of churches yet? Or what was your experiences with those kind of more liberal leaning? Yeah, and see, here's the deal. I, I, um, I guess... I started back to college late. I was 29 when I went back from my undergrad and 40-something when I finished my graduate degree. Uh, and so I had gone through the, the vast majority of 30-some years of my life uh, trying different churches. And I'd had good experiences in some and others. But what, what, what I'd seen happening after Emergent, uh, we met a bunch of us at, I think it was 2002 San Diego, the Emergent Conference. Mm-hmm. And I started a conversation with the people I thought were bright enough to help me kind of parse what I, I believed. And as that conversation moved, I discovered the Yale School and the Post-Liberal School and Southern Nazarene has a great program there and we did a whole bunch of uh, Post-Liberal plus Anabaptists, which was nice and I really felt like you could find some sort of hybrid of that post-liberal sort of um, uh, theology that comes out of, uh, I'm trying to think of his name right now but it's not coming to him, 
me. That combined with Yoder and uh, and Howard Wass and those guys, and mm-hmm. it, for a while it kept me in. And so when I left, clearly I I moved through Pentecostal and Evangelical and High Church liberal, and I I never had much affinity for High Church liberalism because what it seems to me like you want to do is just be an ethical person, and if you want to just be an ethical person, then all the other Bible talks just you know some sort of I guess a way of propping up the justification for your ethical system, mm-hmm. but. And I, I know like, I'm going to offend some folks, but liberal Christianity never struck me as Christianity. Um, it always struck me as uh, trying to live a good ethical life. So mm-hmm. that when I left the faith, I was leaving a modified form of Anabaptism, which I think still, in terms of the ethics of Christianity and Jesus, is probably the best way to model your life if you're really serious about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. The interview. I mean, it's funny because Tripp's probably going to listen to this. It's it's going to be an episode of us talking about him behind his back, no, <laughs> or something like that. But. I think I saw Twitter. He said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on there, and get on here, and tell you that he's wrong," which I'm not going to do, not right. directly. No, I mean, <laughs> um, and and the thing is, like, you know, uh, him. Um, it's just I'm I'm more of God. He's the one person that I've him, and then the UCC church that I visited. That's my, uh, what? That's why I guess why I was bringing him up because they're my one kind of. Uh, uh, litmus test for UCC type of liberal theology. Okay, so you know if I mention Tripp, it's because we just had him on the show, and and he's my kind of the example I can give. Okay, so sure. Um, the uh, the reason why I want to have him back on the show, and and because um, uh, I, I we got through the podcast, and it was, I mean, frankly, just uh, I was just trying to keep up during the conversation because it's a lot. It's you know, theology gets deep, you know, real yeah. quick. And um, the one thing that I noticed, and what I want to eventually get him back on and talk to them about, and may, I mean, we can even maybe have you back on or, or something like that. I don't know, um, more of a dialogue with a, a few of us. But uh, I don't think he really mentioned Jesus too much, uh, or e- even if at all, during the conversation. Do you find that a, a case with the kind of more liberal leaning, uh, these liberal leaning Christians? I guess. Yeah. Okay, let me let me try to parse this a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, in process, in process, you don't need to talk about Jesus uh, because I don't think the resurrection actually matters all that much. Okay. Uh, quite, quite frankly, it's it really is an attempt to keep alive uh, a non-theistic model of faith that is intellectually honest. If you talk to Tripp and you have, he'll tell you that he, he probably believes that uh, process theology is more honest to science than any other form of the faith, and I don't disagree with that either. Uh, it's just that I don't give a shit at that point. Uh, once I've switched my vocabulary from faith to science, then I'll just go ahead and stick with science. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at that point, you, if you lose the theistic impulse or the theistic um, sort of underpinning of Christianity or any faith, you know, any any theistic faith, Islam or Judaism, whatever, then if God's not interacting with the world in a way that's meaningful at all, then what is the point of even trying to communicate with a creature entity being that seems not all that concerned with our day-to-day or, you know, I, I'm in Oklahoma City. Clearly, God, Marduk, or somebody hates the shit out of more Oklahoma because uh, it's two miles <laughs> right. from where I am. They're getting the crap kicked out of them. So I had this awful experience that night of one of my favorite students putting on Twitter. This was the May 20th, tornado, uh-huh. putting on Twitter, uh, you know, trust in God, he'll see you safe through the storm. And so I replied back to her, and I'm like, you got, at the time the count was wrong, I'm like, you've got 91 dead bodies within a couple of miles of your house. What the hell are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So that kind of, you know, that, that's why theism strikes me as, as, as nonsensical in, in that way. But the 
problem with process, it, it isn't really a problem for me, is that they don't talk about Jesus because you don't have to talk about Jesus. If he, maybe he's a seminal event, you know, events, they're mm -hmm. a big word. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's a seminal event in the evolution of God, and that's distinctly possible, I suppose. But as I said to Tripp that night, once you start talking about metaphysics, you can say anything you want to say. Uh, Jesus is an event of God, fine, whatever. God is whatever you want him to be or whatever you conceive her to be. Once you wander into that, that sort of place, uh, you, you're free to just you know, speculate and say whatever, and nothing can be falsified. So, on the other on the side of that, evangelicals, fundamentalists talk about Jesus all the time, and quite frankly, don't give a damn about him other than the fact that he died to somehow make them therapeutically better in the, in, in the world. So, I do like that liberals at least focus on the ethics of Jesus, and Anabaptists focus on the ethics of Jesus, which mm -hmm. is to say, at least try actively not to be a dick in the world. Uh, and, and that strikes me as a far more uh, honest and better way to live your life than the evangelical. Yeah. You know, I'll do what I want, ask forgiveness later because Jesus bled for me nonsense that I'm, I'm weary of at this yeah. point because I live in Oklahoma. So there's a long answer. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> great. Um, uh, uh, Joey, uh, I know I keep I keep blazing through and not giving you a chance to, to ask any questions, but um, uh, I want to go and take a musical break real quick here. And then what I want to do is talk about um, – that that the interview with with Greg and Trip and then uh, and 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 Joey I won't hog the mic so much then is that all right? It's okay. <laughs> is man. that a plan? It's your show, it's your show man. I'm just a, hey yeah, man, a spectator. Man. Hey man, I, I, I yeah, you know how I am. All right. Uh, the band I'm going to feature today is another Deep Elm artist, and I, I'm going to actually going to be playing probably a lot more Deep Elm artists when I actually do uh, do these musical breaks because. I feel like that their roster of bands kind of reach out to the more philosophical like ideas and stuff like that. So I, I really dig that about that label and then the bands that they they choose. Uh, today I'm going to feature, and I'm probably going to mispronounce their name because all their all their normal song titles are in French. But uh, this is Les Les Sages. Uh, the song is called Nomads, and uh, you're listening to the AXPX podcast. I'll be your puppy. You can tie your string and tug it.
run away with me I know you'd get up and run away with me And try to find a better life I know you'd get up and run away with me You'd pack up and run away Oh, the king himself That was Lace Sages with the song Nomads. Uh, uh, it's off of their 2013 album that I had up, but then my screen decided to go dark. Uh, the, the album is called Blood Harmony, and uh, I highly suggest you check out that whole album. It's actually available on Spotify. You can check it out there. But I also suggest you probably uh, you know go to deepmdigital.com and buy it for you know for like I'm not sure how much it is there. I think it's like eight bucks. But uh, highly worth it. I really dig the album. And hopefully we'll hear more from them a little bit later today. But we're talking to Greg Horton. And uh, talking. To, we're kind of in, you know, maybe getting a skeptic's view of process theology and theology in general is kind of where I feel the direction of the, the podcast going. Um, but I wanted to take some time right now to just uh, get Greg's take on the interview with Trip Fuller that we actually uh, touched on last week. And then, you know, I think I forgot to put a link in the show notes, but hopefully if you've listened, you've tracked down the homebrewed theology, or home, I keep saying homebrewed theology, uh, homebrewed Christianity uh, website and, and found that show for yourself. But for sure, I will put a link in the show notes this week here. So, uh, Greg, um, so, so Trip was he out in Oklahoma City or what sparked that uh, event from happening? Because uh, you helped organize it, correct? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. Okay. No, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Kester Bruin. He's a young writer, quite popular these days. Uh, wrote a book about piracy and Christianity. So there's a a group of uh, probably I don't know if you'd call them um, all Christians or theists here in town, mm-hmm. but it's a group of friends who think about theology and think about philosophy, and they they've titled their their group after this Kester Bruin sort of concept about uh, you know piracy. I can't it, you, you I'll look it up later. I can't think of the name of it right now. A good, a good friend of mine, like I told you, Todd Littleton, is part of that group, uh, and they they have people come in every once in a while, like Eric Raytan, a great philosopher from OSU, was in just recently, and so this group has these folks in all the time, and they wanted to get Trip, uh, uh, you know, kind of in the crosshairs, because as you know, because of what he does, kind of what you do, is you always get to ask the questions, and mm-hmm. Trip gets to ask the questions, and so when Todd was deciding who best to interview Trip, he decided that someone who'd been in the faith and was now out of the faith and an active skeptic uh, would probably be the best choice, so he asked me to do it. Uh, and that's how that came about. And, it, you know, they meet about, I live downtown Oklahoma, so they meet, they meet about six blocks from my apartment, so it was easy for me, and I like Trip. We've been internet friends for a long time. He was very supportive of the parish back in the days when I was a Christian, and I've tried to be supportive of him as well, and uh, so we finally get to meet face to face that night too, which was kind of which was kind of fun, and in a, an environment where we could all drink and mm-hmm. talk about philosophy and enjoy ourselves with people who actually wanted to hear those ideas. Right. So that's how the interview came about. Okay. 
Joey, uh, do you have anything? I'm gonna t- I'm gonna pass the mic to you for a bit here. Well, you know, before we got into that interview, I was, you know, you made a comment earlier about the tornadoes in Oklahoma and kind of made me wonder, like, what um, what was the catalyst of uh, losing your faith? Was it the, the problem of theodicy or or many other things, a historical uh, text of criticism? I always like to know where you where you yeah. at early back that's in the day. A, that's a great question, and and I'll tell you this because because of the, what of, of what I came through contextually in terms of philosophy and theology, I, I tend to think that when we look back on those sort of decisions, we kind of bullshit ourselves about why we made the choices that we made. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's as complicated as any other thing that ever happens to us. Uh, but if I had to, you know, point to it, I do. I remember a conversation between Dr. Steve Green, my mentor, Southern Nazarene, and myself as I was reading through. Um, uh, it's continental philosophy and, and also a little bit of Wittgenstein at the time. And I remember feeling like the things that I'd always believed, the theistic sort of assumptions that I had, were no longer offering good answers to the questions I was learning to ask in a philosophy program. And so as I asked mm-hmm. those questions and couldn't provide answers anymore, I remember saying to Steve, I feel like I'm scaling this cliff to get somewhere and there's, I'm running out of handholds and footholds. And it feels like I need to kind of launch myself up. And I'm only 5'7", for fuck's sake. I mean, I, I can't reach very far. <laughs> and so I have to kind of launch myself up and find the next handhold, and I'm afraid that it's not there. And I remember he looked at me and he said, you know what, Just it's, it's a faith thing. Just launch out. It's going to be there. And guess what? It wasn't there. He, I, it's not that he lied. I think that his experience told him that I would find something intellectually that I could apply, you know, that I could uh, hold on to, but I, I didn't find that thing. So I guess, yes, uh, theodicy has always been a problem for me, especially the problem of natural evil. I can handle the man-made evil. We're dick, we're dick bags at times, and that there's, there's no disputing that. Uh, but natural evil has always been an issue for me. Uh, the idea of how uh, any divine agency actually works in a physical world has been a problem for me. Uh, the, uh, you know, the you pick any sort of traditional skeptical problem. My problems with the Bible were manifold, obviously, uh, but I tried to find a narrative that I, I felt like would keep my faith together, and that narrative was the ethics of Jesus. And while that works, and it does keep your faith together, at that point, faith becomes superfluous because you've already got the ethics there. Mm-hmm. So that's my answer, Joey. No, that's good. That's interesting. Anything else, Joey? We good? Well, no, yeah. I just go. I guess in the interview, um, I I found it. Uh, I like interviews like with you and Trip because it felt really honest. You know, a lot of times people put not on a front, but they're performing in a sense. You know, you become a speaker, you talk in front of people, and it's kind of like you take on a new identity, even though it's yourself. But there is, you know, when you do public speaking and stuff, and that's why I think my, uh, Sean and I really like that interview because it's very candid, very yeah. truthful. And I think what got to me, you 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 boil it down to one thing: what was the point? What's the point? You know, like. It, it seems like it's all personal preference, you know. Uh, you know, you come up with these all these different ideas to fit into make your own kind of brand of faith or whatever you want. And do you still? Uh, I mean, it, Sean, do you feel that Trip really answered that question of? Because it, it's really hard. Because I think with Sean and I, we we trying to keep up with this stuff, but we're not educated enough to understand like the ins and outs of process theology, you know. <laughs> So the the language gets really thick. It's almost like we have to look up all these different words just to join the conversation. Um, and that's kind of what, yeah, that's what I kind of got with the whole interview. You know, it was more candid that we could understand the conversation because it kind of broke down. We didn't have to, 
right. know all this estic- whatever you know all these different yeah. fancy words you know. Well, well, I think let, let, yeah. let me interject something really quick. Yeah, good. The problem, and this is this is my this is my Wittgenstein background and, and the philosopher that taught me more about linguistics than anybody else and probably helped seal the doom of my faith. My faith, and that is that even if we look up those words, uh, what really matters is not the definition we find there. It's the way they use that word in the conversation that they're having. A simple word like event. Uh, in the context of you know what we talk about, we're having Dead Center Film Festival in Oklahoma City tonight. We get tons of events going on, but in terms of uh, phenomenology or process theology, it becomes this super, uh, super rich word, this loaded with meaning. But unless you're inside that faith practicing it, you kind of lose part of the way it's actually used. And quite frankly, if you are in the faith practicing it, you learn to use it in ways without ever questioning the fundamental meaning of the word and what you mean when you say things. So mm. uh, that's the problem with any kind of conversation about theology or philosophy from people who don't practice it is that um, it, it loses part of its meaning because you simply can't understand it. C.S. Lewis, and I hate to quote him, but he's right about this, uh, used to say it's the difference between looking at and looking along. If you're looking at something, you're, then you're studying it. You're trying to at least objectively you think, which you, no one's really able to do. But if you're with it, in it, looking along it, it looks far different than someone standing outside. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that it's correct, but what we see with process theology, theology in general, quite frankly, is what we call privileging. It's this idea that I'm going to privilege part of the narrative, the Jesus narrative, the God narrative, the Old Testament narrative. I'm going to privilege that part, ignore the parts that are inconvenient. So it's kind of a theological confirmation bias. I, I, I don't like this part of the story, so I'll jettison that part, and I'll keep this part because I like it. And so now process is in the, in, in, is in the process of privileging certain parts of that text and at the same time being somewhat embarrassed about the text. And this is what Tripp kept going back to about it's this kind of contextual conversation between people of God trying to understand who they are and how God works in the world. I don't dispute that at all. It's a group of people trying to understand how God works. What you're not allowed to do is you're not allowed to pull out enough of the of the text itself to create some sort of theological framework and then pretend that the rest of the text doesn't exist. If you can't tell me why the text matters in the first place, then why the hell are you using the text? If the Jesus event, the resurrection, isn't real, then theism is going to kind of crumble pretty painfully, Christian theism at least. Mm -hmm. So if you can't assert one of those things and then offer some sort of evidence for the fact that it's true, then really all you're doing is painting pretty pictures with words. And while lovely, uh, they aren't really founded on anything, and I have no interest in them. Nice. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, when, when we were talking, when we were talking to Trip about the actual the, the interview, he said there's probably like a total of actually five hours. The conversation went on for he said five about hours. five hours. Um, is there is there anything that was put together that you wish was in you know in that hour long or whatever two hour long episode that they that they put out? Was there or did you kind of trim the fat? Was you know I don't, I'm not sure who edited it together, but um, did oh, you dude. feel like the the fat was trimmed, or is there anything that kind of frustrated you that was missing from the conversation? Well, and you've talked to Trip, and you know this, and, and the same is true of me. This I'm not just picking on Trip; I'm picking on myself too. Uh, if you get two people like us together and we'll give us five hours to talk, <laughs> uh, half of it is going to be us trying to be clever or funny or cute or interesting, <laughs> yeah. and, and and part of it will be genuine and sincere. Sincere and you know and forthright, and so I think that for the most part, I, I, not for the most part, I, I fully believe that Bo did a fantastic job editing it, and I cool. think he got to the heart of what they were trying to get at. Now, 
the night of the event, Tripp ended up talking about uh, continental atheists and uh, uh, and some other stuff that wasn't really pertinent to the conversation that we were going to have, which subsequently happened in the garage. Mm-hmm. That was the two, the, I think, two nights later, the next night, whatever it was, and so. <clears throat> there, there were, it was two weird conversations to try to blend together anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure DeBo explains it, but what happens in that first conversation is I've taken questions from the, the crowd that was there, and then I'm supposed to ask that question and then try to, you know, if necessary, make him flesh out some terms or terminology or, or, or answer a question more clearly. Uh, and really the goal of the night was for me to finally say to him, are you a process theologian and have him and say yes or no, which he was honest about. He's very forthcoming, and I'm fine with that. So I don't know that it would have benefited anybody. The fact that Bo left in some of my more, um, you know, strident comments in the garage about theology and and the profanity that ensued, uh, I think was a credit to how honest they are about how the conversation actually took place. Okay. Good deal. Joe, do you have anything else? No, that's, I mean... Honestly, I mean that's that's what I really wanted to get. I always like to get to the core of the reasons yeah. why people believe uh, or why they don't believe, you know. And those yeah. are the kind of interesting conversations, you know, that I like to have. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, here, let, me, let, me, let me say this because I, I don't know if you got any more questions uh, or, or not, Sean, but I want to say I, I like what the process guys are doing. I really do. I, I think it's genuinely an attempt to wed. Uh, philosophy, theology, and science. And I think they try to be as honest as they can. And, and this is not me saying that I get it and they don't, because uh-huh. I clearly don't. I, I'm not as smart as Trip Fuller, uh, not even close, uh, and some of the, some of his community of friends. But but it seems to me that you're you're trying to find a way to keep your faith alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, while I appreciate that, I would just as soon step back from all of faith. And then expect. Well, I think this was in the podcast too. If I'm going to step back, and if God wants to show up, then then He can show up, or she can show up, or they can show up. Mm-hmm. And if they're not going to do that, then why the fuck would I care? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, callous. I'm just uh-huh. saying, if if theology is anything at all, it's an attempt to understand who we are in the world uh, vis-a-vis the gods. And if they don't give a shit enough to talk to us or come make it make themselves known obviously in an obvious way. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's supposed, why I'm supposed to care about that. Yeah. Kind. So, that, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, that, that's, that's been, and, and with my personal story too, that's been my major frustration. Um, even as a, a young man living in, living in Iowa on a farm, you know, you got, we're, we're on 25 acres and I can go out there and scream at the sky <laughs> if I wanted to. And, you know, there's many nights that I, you know, would be, you know, screaming at God, like, you know, show your, you know, show yourself like, so I don't right. have any more questions, any more doubts, because I think I think the problem with with me and, and my journey is I just kind of get sick of the I, I almost get sick of the journey, you know, right. sick of the questions, and just I just want to know. And you know, if that's being a doubting Thomas or whatever, you know, that's that's fine. I'm fine with that. But um, but I'm, I I totally get it. You know, this uh, it, I I just don't understand. You know, I mean, me finding a cell phone that I lost, you know. That's not proof that God is real, <laughs> you know. No. It's uh, yeah, no, I agree. It's it's a great coincidence that I found it. <laughs> I remembered because I, I lost a cell phone when I was on the walk with the kids, and it was just it was, like it was gone, and uh, I found it in the weirdest spot, you know. And sure, you know, a lot of people contribute to that. Well, that that's God showing you that He's real. I'm like, well, no, that's just me kind of retracing my steps, finding my cell phone. Really, right. <laughs> ultimately. 
so. <laughs> no, and that is that is the primary difference between people like Trip and the evangelical community is that Trip is at least honest about the way the world functions, and, and the process guys I think are too. Mm-hmm. Whereas the evangelical community has, I'm, I'm getting, I'm doing, a, I just did a piece actually uh, for a, a wire service that. I'm I'm fascinated by the way religious language is used, mm-hmm. and generally speaking, I agree with Peter Rollins, uh, the, the I think he's Irish, the young philosopher, yeah, yeah. theologian, uh, and I don't agree with him about a lot of things, but I do agree with him about this: is that Christian language, I mean, theistic language of any sort, is more an attempt to create a mythology that makes me feel comfortable with what I believe than it is a, a, an ability to, to understand the world. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In other words, I can say the most absolutely counterfactual things, like the young woman in Moore who says God's going to keep us safe through the storm while she's surrounded by dead kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's completely counterfactual. And yet somehow that mythology separates me, it, it, it distances me from the sense of abandonment or fear or loneliness. or uh, And so we use it that way, which I find dishonest not in intent, but in application. Mm-hmm. It's not like they intend to be liars, but evangelicals and fundamentalists create, create this entire structure of lies uh, that can't sustain the actual questions, and so they just make, you know, this is where we're seeing this kind of trend toward Calvinism these days. This neo-Calvinist movement is beautiful because the, the, the great part about it is it's a wonderfully consistent internal logic, and as long as you accept all the premises, then everything is true, and, uh, and you're, you'll always be fine. And all you have to do is not allow for outside questions that don't embrace the premises. Mm-hmm. It's because now you're right all the time. And so we're going to continue to see, it's going to grow. It's going to keep growing because it offers this sort of certainty about the world and who God is. I think it's utter bullshit, but it offers this amazing certainty to the practitioners who, who choose it. Okay. And that's kind of what's, what's going on with us right now. So I want to say to Trip, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm going to say we disagree, uh, but I would like to know at one level, why you privilege one piece of the narrative over the rest, and what the hell do you do with the rest of the narrative? I mean, let's just say it's all wrong and, and toss the thing and wait for God to show up. That would make me way happier. <laughs> mm. Well, let's let's go and take one more break here. Then I want to come back and kind of unpack uh, different uh, uh, schools of, of theology, and we okay. can chat about them and kind of where we stand and what we think about each one, and, and um, you know, kind of go from there. So this is Lace. Les Sages. I'm just going to say Les Sages. I don't know. I should have probably checked with the label and how to pronounce that before. I <laughs> Are they a show. French band? Uh, I don't think so. I really don't think so. Okay. Um, it, it, either it, they, they may, they, maybe they are and they have impeccable, uh, they can just do a U.S. accent really good. Which, which, actually, uh, which actually a lot of foreign artists do because that makes them more marketable. Sure. But uh, uh, anyway, I don't know. Um, I should probably check that out. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> Uh, this is their song a miss off of their album blood harmony you're listening to the axpx podcast is it so hard to understand Take advantage, but never. 
ever feel as you steal to build. Sages with the song Amiss off of their 2013 album Blood Harmony, which is out right now. You can check it out on Spotify or you can go to Deep Elm Digital uh, and pick up a copy there. I actually don't think, uh, I think Deep Elm Records uh, provides all their music digitally now, uh, with the exception of some uh, limited edition uh, vinyl runs, which I'm, this is one of the albums I really hope comes out. They do a, a kind of a vinyl run on that. So um, anyway, check them out. Go to deepelmdigital.com uh, and or deepelm.com and learn more about the band. 
All right, we're uh, talking to Greg Horton, and what I want to do in this uh, this last part of the show here is kind of we've kind of you know grazed along theology, and and you know last week we brought up process theology, and what I want to do, I mean, hopefully in the, for the rest of the year, I want to have more kind of schools of theology represented. Um, and as long as I, and I also do want to get more into uh, philosophy and things like that. I know people always kind of you know bring up the show name and, and think that I'm you know a philosopher, but they sometimes they don't get the joke that armchair philosopher means I'm totally not a philosopher who's interested in theology and philosophy. So, um, uh, so Greg, what what was your? I want to kind of unpack different schools of thought with theology. There's Calvinism. There's what we discussed. We've discussed. Uh, process theology what would you say like when you were first coming up in more of the evangelical uh assemblies of god what kind of theology does that church run on uh well pentecostals pentecostal yeah they run they run on pentecostal theology but the problem is that you can divide that into two categories now you've got traditional pentecostals and you've got charismatics which is a form of pentecostalism that's far more marketable to the real world uh than the pentecostalism i was raised with and so uh the long the long phrase for this is we practiced a form of theology called, um, uh, oh gosh, I'm, the, the term's going to leave my mind right now. That's that's fantastic. Um, I, it's been, yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll come back around to it. Yeah, no worries. No, no, it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a Pentecostalism, but it's based on this idea that God has divided the world into dispensations, thank God. Okay. Dispensationalism. Uh, that God has divided the world into dispensations of His grace. And so each one of those is a different sort of age. And so now we live as, as of Acts uh, where the, the Spirit is poured out, we live in this age of the Spirit. And so when Jesus returns to establish the millennium, that will be the end, the, es- the eschatological event. As probably Tripp would talk about eschatology, mm-hmm. there will be an end, and this this is going to be established by Jesus. And you, you, it was popularized with uh, the, the Left Behind series. That's the kind of theology I grew up with. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of where Pentecostals are today. And Charismatics and Southern Baptists share that same sort of view of the way the world ends uh, and, and where we are in the world. But clearly they're vastly different in terms of speaking in tongues and all the other things that are associated with Pentecostalism. Yeah. What What was your experience with speaking in tongues? Uh, I, mean, you, <laughs> I mean, here, uh, I'll let you know. I mean, for myself, like I was raised, uh, when I was raised, we were, I, I, my parents were involved with more of a, um, non-denominational type churches and things like that. And then I did see people like speaking in tongues in like worship and praying, but they were never like all about um, prophecy or anything like that. Um, I didn't run into that until I was, I think more middle school, maybe high school with some, uh, there's a church called open Bible church. And then there's a church called agape, which they were hardcore, like, um, uh, 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 shoot. I just stuff's losing my, leaving my brain too. Um, uh, Pentecostal and uh, what's the other term you used? Charismatic. Charismatic. Thank you. Jeez. Um, and I, the first time I ever encountered those types of church services, I was like scared for my life. <laughs> I was like, these people are loony <laughs> because it was just madness and chaos and just people running around, just speaking in nonsense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went and met my wife. She went to uh, Rama. Bible College or Bible yeah. Training Center, which is uh, Kenneth Hagen. So yeah. she she spoke to me about praying in tongues, and, and when we met, we had we had conversations about it, and um, I I tried it myself and everything. Hers was more practical, like prayer language. We need to, you know, you don't know 
how to pray or what to say, you use tongues to pray. So there's there's even in the the, the camp of tongues, speaking tongues, there's all these different you know levels. So what was your experience you with? You don't get that that <clears throat> that prayer language thing doesn't start until the Vineyard Movement in the late seventies. Oh, right, they, they call it the third wave. So that kind of divided Pentecostalism. My experience mm -hmm. as a kid growing up. Uh, I've always been a fairly rational. I'm not going to say I'm, I think guys tend to say that they think they're logical when they're really not. I teach logic and most of us suck at it. Uh, but I was at least somewhat rational. And when they were, when the, you have to imagine them being 10 or 11, mm -hmm. <clears throat> growing up in a tradition where you see this happen every day, and then being told that this is the way that you know that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So this is this really important, distinct work that happens in Pentecostalism. And the mark of that is the speaking in tongues moment that, that's mm. the first time you ever do it. So you're called the altar repeatedly over and over and over again and usually it's on Sunday nights they did most of this weird stuff on Wednesday night Bible study and <laughs> Sunday night uh, services because Sunday mornings were just other directed but it happened then too and so you'll have a pastor or a youth pastor or just a person from the church with the hands on you and you might have five people around you right. and they're all saying something to the effect of just stop thinking and let the spirit speak through you which to me sounds like uh, I, I, it's what's supposed to happen. Am I supposed to get possessed? Is my mouth supposed to work on its own? And, and there's, so there's no explanation given. There's a church here in Oklahoma City that famously taught people to say things like Bada Honda Shida Bada Yamaha uh, to get their mouth moving so that, that the spirit could begin to work through them. This is, of course, to me, complete bullshit now uh, because it assumes that the spirit's going to take over my mouth. Now then, fast forward. So I never could do it as a kid. Mm -hmm. So fast forward 20 years to where I'm working in a charismatic church. Uh, and I come to hear this talk of prayer languages. And so, yeah, I, did I do it? Sure. Did it mean anything? Probably not. Is it pattern behavior, pattern recognition, something you learn, learn behavior? Yeah, most likely it is. Mm. Um, I've heard people that are really, really good at it and really, really bad at it. Uh, so I, you know, again, uh, that's that was a weird sort of moment in my life. And I'd like to have it back, quite frankly. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it is a kinder, gentler form of Pentecostalism. I think the charismatic faith. Now, the Hagen yeah. guys, that word of faith nonsense, Copeland and all those guys. That was the whole uh, God wants you to be rich and happy and healed. And, and quite mm -hmm. frankly, if you're white, so much the better. Um, so it's it's just a weird sort of way of viewing the world. And mm -hmm. because I live in Oklahoma, we're inundated with it. I do see that it's fallen in hard times, and I do appreciate that. Uh, that sort of tradition has been inherited by Joel Osteen, whose father was, in fact, a Pentecostal, somebody God minister. And Joel Osteen has moved beyond the Kenneth Hagin style of word of faith theology to this more, you know, popular kind of uh, positive thinking, yeah. uh, motivational speaker sort of stuff. But if yeah. you actually go to his church, you'll hear sermons that aren't on television that have way more to do with cross and blood and Jesus and, and faith. Uh, but they just don't show that edited version on television. Huh. So, That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, so like, you know, Oklahoma City and then like Tulsa, I lived in Tulsa for a while and that's actually where I met, met my wife. Um, uh, it's, which is funny. I'm going to, I'm going to digress for a little bit because when I, when I was single running around Tulsa, um, uh, you always heard about like what types of, what types of girls each college would have. <laughs> like, yeah. Like the Oral Roberts girls, they were freaks, like <laughs> freaky, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, uh. <laughs> And then the Rama girls were a little more, you know, I guess down to earth. But I was always warned about the Oral Roberts girls. Maybe because the name Oral is in the school? <laughs> yeah, it's know. the worst name ever, honestly. <laughs> it's just the worst name ever. But uh, uh, anyway, I digress. Um, uh, you know, I've, I have actually uh, 
you know, I have friends that went to both colleges, and I mean, I married a woman who went to Rainbow Bible College, and she's totally cool. So, you know, um, but there are I did experience the kind of wackos, a little bit, of, you know, that just were going out guns blazing in this theology, you know, not questioning it, not questioning at all, just kind of, you know, word of faith going to go out, we're going to speak the, you know, uh, I don't know, glory into our lives, or, you know, nope. but um, so. So that's kind of the more charismatic theology, and uh, I guess would you say that's probably more of most? You know, I don't I don't even know what's mainstream anymore as far as Western Christianity, oh. but that's the one that I see the most marketed, right? You got the Christian music, you got you know. Yeah, that one plays well on television. Yeah, it's larger than life. Right now, theologically, in the United States, they used to talk about the Bible Belt, which I think is total nonsense uh -huh. now. There's no such thing, right? Because what's happened is evangelicalism has been consolidated by men like Bill Hybels from uh, uh, Willow Creek and by men like Rick Warren from Saddleback. Mm -hmm. And what you, so what you have now, and actually one of my mentors at Southern Nazarene used to argue with his uh, uh, fellow pastors about this this what we call the Baptistification of. of American theology, because it's all been sort of converted into this lovely vanilla model of, you know, Jesus has a plan for your life, and he died on the cross for you, and you just need to accept him. And so it becomes this very individualistic sort of, you know, the, one of the phrases you hear associated was, if you were the only person, Jesus would have died for you. Whereas the Anabaptists tend to say, if you were the only person, you would have killed him too, uh, which I definitely prefer in terms of the way we understand that part of the theology. But mm. that if you run into an American these days that's evangelical. It doesn't matter if they're Methodist or Baptist or Nazarene or go to one of these gigantic hydra-headed megachurches like Life Church here in Oklahoma City. Uh, what you'll find is that they tend to believe pretty much the same thing because the people that are really good at being preachers right now, especially at that level of, of cultural influence, aren't theologically astute and they honestly don't give two shits about theology. Right. They've reduced theology to uh, God created the world, and then things went to shit, and then he sent his son, who died on the cross for you, and because of that, you're forgiven, and you get to go to heaven. In the meantime, uh, he has a plan for your life, and it'll be awesome if you could give us some money so he can <laughs> church open too. And that becomes the theological sort of uh, you know shorthand. And so you asked him to go much deeper than that. One of my good friends pastors a megachurch, a former good friend, pastors a megachurch, and I would ask him, why do you keep preaching the same 52 sermons year in and year out? Yeah. Well, the the real answer is because that's about as deep as he was. Uh, the, his answer was, of course, well, the people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing until they do. I can't move on to the, you know, the high school or college level stuff. It's like, dude, that's just such total shit. Yeah. It's because that's, and that's fine. If that's their whole theology, great. But that is standard American evangelicalism at this point, and that is the dominant model. And if you can even take pieces of that and find it in the uh, Pentecostal charismatic model, uh, the only difference these days uh, is is the Catholic Church, and they're the ones that are going to be. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with them yeah, over the yeah. next few years because this new pope is shaking things up, and uh, the child sex scandal is shaking things up. I think American Catholics are becoming far more interesting in terms of their ability to pick and choose the aspects of their faith that they think are important, which yeah. Protestants have always done. And Catholics are finally finding the freedom to do that as well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of this more like the mainstream Western Christianity theology and, and uh, you know, the pastor saying that he didn't uh, didn't want to go any further because he he believes that people aren't aren't ready yet or whatever. Um, do, you, do you feel like I mean, I feel like that's kind of the majority of Americans 
with anything. You know what I mean? You look at movies, music, and now even religion. You know, they don't want to go too deep on pretty much anything, I feel like. Um, so do you, do you think that's why that, that, that form of theology is, you know, kind of the most prevalent in the U.S.? Is just, you know, people want the cliff notes of the Bible every week? I mean, just look at that TV show, The Bible, that came out. You know, um, which they're not writing a book about. They decided there should be a book about that. <laughs> Unfucking believe a book <laughs> about <laughs> the Bible, based on oh, the Bible. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. Let's write a book about it. And, you know, I yeah, I, you know, I again, I teach college, and I'm I am always amazed that the generation that I teach is not as bad as everybody thinks they are. Okay, uh, so I. I I see signs of hopefulness all the time. I really do. But I also see a, a sort of complacency about um, digging up, uh, digging deeper into ideas. Here's, and, and I don't, I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but <laughs> the problem is this, this Google effect. It really has created some problems for us such that if I have a question, I don't need to really think through the, the ramifications or, or the possible answers. I need to get online and start typing in a search box uh-huh. and then I'm find some form of an answer. Well, the, the problem is that an answer like that isn't necessarily tied comprehensively to a larger system that gives that answer meaning. And so you get pieces of stuff mm-hmm. or they, they can't sort a credible source from a non-credible source. And so I had an argument in an intersection I just taught on world mythology with a young man who swears that fluoride is absolutely poisonous to us uh, in any quantity and he warned one of the girls who was pregnant in class that her baby was going to die if she kept brushing her teeth with fluoride toothpaste. Oh my gosh. And, 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 and so then and I say, you know, find me some credible sources. Well, he goes to these, you know, tin hat, uh, tinfoil hat blog sites. I'm like, so that's what we're up against in some ways. At the same time, uh, American evangelicalism has settled for this narrative and, and Christian Smith, this is, his, this is him, not me. He's a sociologist. A sociologist. I think he's at the University of North Carolina now, but he did a, a thing, a book called Christian America a while back, and it's absolutely brilliant, and everybody should read it, but it is sociology, so it sucks and it's hard to read. So, but what he, what he, what he deduces is, America doesn't practice Christianity, especially people under the age of like 30 or 40. They practice moralistic, therapeutic deism. This idea that God has some rules, you know, don't get abortions, don't be gay, uh, and that, uh, but the therapeutic part is he really does want us to be happy. Mm-hmm. And the deist part is he really did create this this whole world. So basically, you end up with a God who created the world, who wants me to be happy in it, and then has some sins that I shouldn't commit. But oh wait, if I do, then there's this blood of Jesus talk that allows me to continue to be a douchebag in the world and get forgiveness at the same time. Yeah. It's awesome. It's great theology because it's the most self-satisfying version of living in the world possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so let's move on. Let's move on and uh, let's do a. Speaking of cliff notes, let's do a cliff notes version of Calvinism. So Calvinism seems uh, always seems to be me to be kind of a next level up above this Western Christianity kind of mainstream, you know, um, vanilla stuff. It's a lot of Calvinists kind of come across as thinkers, and they come across yeah. as you know using reason and and um, you know apologetics. I think can be lumped into a lot of Calvinists using apologetics. But sure. I mean, my basic understanding of Calvinism. Uh, is that is the once like everyone's been kind of predetermined, right? This whole predeterminism, yeah, predestination, predestination. Um, yeah. See, this this these types of things show that I'm not an f- actual philosopher because I get my words all messed up. Um, sure. Predestination. Uh, so, what what's your experience with Calvinism as far as kind of giving us you know just an elementary like here's 
what it is, you know. Okay. Well, obviously, historically, it's John Calvin, mm -hmm. the, one of the formers. But the problem right now <clears throat> we have in America is that it's been popularized. Neo Calvin has been popularized by John Piper and Mark Driscoll. Okay, right. uh, the, the traditional form of Calvinism has five basic principles and run through really fast under the rubric of TULIP. It is total depravity, in other words, we can't save ourselves, uh, an, an unconditional election, in other words, God chooses whom is going to be saved, and quite frankly, whom is to be damned as well. Uh, limited atonement, Jesus dies on the cross, not for everybody, but for only the ones that God has elected. Uh, irresistible grace, which means if you are meant to be saved, the Spirit is going to save you. For the saints, uh, once you are saved, then you will persevere to the end, so you can't lose your salvation. So that's the traditional form of Calvinism. It's the, well, two things, I'll say one nice about it. They aren't acting like they're good thinkers. They literally have some legit philosophers in Calvin, Walter Storch, Alvin Plantinga. Uh, I think Plantinga was at Notre Dame, or he's still at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're legit. They, they, they and they understand how to make an argument there. They, they, they're really good at what they do. Uh, if, again, we're back to what I said in the first section, if you accept their premises, then yes. What happens is they create this sort of thing called properly basic beliefs. And this is, this is planning, I believe, says there are these things called properly basic beliefs. And they don't have to be justified. In philosophy, if you're going to talk about you have to justify why it's okay to talk about it and why it's going to make sense, and that's called the prolegomena. Now then, he's going to planning is going to skip that for the existence of God, and he's going to jump straight to God exists because it's a properly basic belief. Next move is really really evil, because what it says is unless you find a fatal argument that destroys that properly basic belief, you get to continue to believe the properly basic belief. There is no argument you can make that disproves God's existence because, for fuck's sake, it's metaphysics and you can't do metaphysics. Mm -hmm. So now you're left system where you get to say whatever you want beginning with God exists. Now to add Driscoll and Piper to this and what you've got is not just the predestination of all things or what one of my friends calls God providence. It's this idea that women have a role to play in the world and it's predicated on God's divine blueprint for the world and therefore if they don't do what we say they're supposed to do, wife, mother, stay home, submit, then they are in, in many ways working against the blood of God in the world and therefore out of step, and therefore their salvation is, while not in jeopardy, is clearly not being demonstrated in their lives. Hmm. And it's a really perverse tale of, of just fatalism, honestly, is what it is. It's really, really popular. It's going to keep growing because it does provide a shit ton of answers to a bunch of hard questions. I just think the answers all suck. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, actually, I'm not a fan at all of of Mark Driscoll. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, I, I don't understand why. I'm, I, I shouldn't say talk like this, but I'm going to. I don't understand why anybody's at his church. I really have no idea yeah. what is supposed to be so appealing about a former frat boy, type A douchebag, uh, <laughs> I, I, in three hundred dollar jeans. I don't understand. Yeah. Why the hell is anybody? Why is a if you have a vagina? Why are you in that church? Get the fuck out! Run away now. Yeah. Well, I can tell. I mean, I can tell why why guys would be interested because he did a sermon on how uh, women should be providing oral sex at the drop of a dime. So. Oh, he's yeah, anal too. I mean, he he went through his whole book and this real sex, I guess. And what creeped me out was the entire. He talks about masturbation as a gay act, and then he says, and especially if you're masturbating in front of your mirror. Listen, dude. Um, I'm, you know, I've been around long enough to we've all masturbated a few times. It never occurred to me to look at myself in the mirror and admire myself. So if that's your problem, Mark Driscoll, good for you. Yeah. Like to look yourself in the mirror while you spank it. Congratulations. <laughs> Try not to put those examples in your books because it freaks me the fuck out. Right. Yeah. 
Ugh, okay. <clears throat> anyway. I never asked you if sanity was okay on your podcast. I assume it is. Fuck yes. It is. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a so anyway, that, that's, that's my issue with is not just that he's a Calvinist. I don't care about that. He's not even a good Calvinist. Uh-huh. Well, the problem is that he has tried to re-empower what he sees as a generation of, of emasculated males. Yeah. And the fact is, here's, if you, I don't have a lot of time. Let me give you a quick illustration. <laughs> Piper, when, when Panetta decided that he was in combat, which was, what, like six, four, four, five, six weeks ago, uh, John Piper says that here's the problem with America today, is that a man and a woman walk out of a diner. And the woman is a black belt in Taekwondo or whatever, and the and the the friend the boyfriend is not really that. And a guy jumps out at them with a knife. It has to be a knife because if it's a gun, they're both dead. So it's got to be a knife. So he jumps out with a knife. In today's in the traditional world, the world in which Piper and Driscoll live, the man would have placed the woman behind him, and then then either defended her or given her time to escape. In the world, they say that Panetta is now envisioning, the man is going to look at the woman and say, hey, you have a black belt, I don't, so you go fight the assailant, and then we become what they would call sissies, or quite frankly, pussies. They, they don't have nice <laughs> words for, for us. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them ever understand the third possibility. Here's an idea. She does have a black belt. How about I distract him while she kicks the shit out of him, and we work as a team, and that's called egalitarianism, and it works way better. Right, and they won't allow for that sort of uh, rubric to function in the world because women are weak and need to be protected and need. To, and I, I've raised two girls. I lo- I love daughters. They're they're fantastic human beings. And you know what? They have their own minds, their own brains, mm-hmm. their own will, their own emotions, their own lust, their own everything. And in as much as they can't treat women like e- equal people, I I find that movement very 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 disturbing. Yeah, I mean, my wife can kick my ass. I have no problem saying that. <laughs> I'm totally confident she could. <laughs> I know she could. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, uh, we need to we need to wrap up here. Um, try to keep these shows at an hour, and uh, and the reason why I mentioned my last podcast, I always I always schedule the podcast during my uh, eleven month old now during his naps, and uh, so you know I got to try to. I mean, love to keep talking about this, but uh, I think we've mentioned process theology and uh, enough throughout the show, and then with the last show with Trip, and I'm sure I think. I think out of all these theologies, I, I find process theology the most interesting because what it's doing is it's trying to, uh, I don't know, trying, I guess, trying to legitimize, you know, any sort of uh, belief in God and, and make it try to gel with science. And mm-hmm. I, I like that it doesn't have a problem with changing and it doesn't right. have a problem with, um, you know, disagreement. I mean, I, I think out of all the theologies, I feel like it's the healthiest one. Um, so, you know, I mean, I would, I'd definitely like to explore it more and, um, see where it goes. It's still, I mean, theology, theology itself kind of gives me a headache, um, just because I I feel like, uh, it's just going all, trying to find all these ways to, I guess, come to a conclusion about where you stand in your faith, you know, and everyone's different. Um, I mean, would you say, like, as far as theology goes, like, was that how you would sum up theology, Greg, or is there a better way to sum it up? I used to believe a lots. Of, I don't know, a lots of different things. Right now, I would say, I I like, I still like theology. Clearly, I'm not even a person of faith anymore, but I still uh-huh. find it fascinating. Uh-huh. So for me, what it really is an attempt to do. Here's the, the here's the cynical answer first. Okay, it's an attempt to explain why God is silent when He shouldn't be silent. Mm-hmm. Why he never shows up when he should show up. 
on the positive side of it, it's a genuine attempt to understand who we are, and in, in, in that sense, it's a cosmogony. It's an attempt to understand who we are in the world, and how we're supposed to relate to the gods, and how the gods relate to us. And if it's done well, and respectfully, I think it's, it's fascinating because it can lead to people behaving in better ways. The good thing about Jesus is, if you actually do what he says, you won't be a douchebag in the mm -hmm. world. That'd be fantastic if people would just try that. So, at that level, theology is an attempt to make sense of a world that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I, I, I do respect the process, guys. I do want you, when you get a chance, when trip's on next time, leave, this, this is the question I want him to answer, uh, and I want him to answer it. Has process moved so far from the original narrative? Has the story changed so much that the Bible itself is no longer useful because the narrative they're, they're using right now has nothing to do with the Bible? Mm -hmm. So that's where I'd start with trip next time. All right. Noted. And by the way, Trip and I are fixing to do a 10 things they don't teach you in, uh, in seminary pod series of podcasts for him as well. Nice. Yes. All right. Um, Joey, did you have anything else before we, uh, before we wrap up? No, I think that's good, man. He, he actually uh, answered some stuff I had questions for, so like almost like presupposition apologetics and stuff, starting cool. with God and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Very cool. Good. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, Greg, where can people find you on on the internet? Do you have a blog or or Twitter or yeah, the, yeah, um, Twitter. Obviously, I'm an I'm ex pastor. Um, <clears throat> also, tw also on Instagram. But I, I also I'm a food and wine writer as well. So <laughs> unless you like pictures of wine, you might want to stay away from my Instagram account. <laughs> Although I do get drunk occasionally and take pictures of weird shit. Nice. Anyway. Um, the blog is the parish. It's on TypePad, so it's the parish.typepad.com. Uh, so they can find me there as well. I don't blog as often as I used to, but I'm getting back into it again. Uh, they can find the entire chronicle of my loss of faith and you know my, my howling at the world. But it's <laughs> it's all there, uh, and I, I do put stuff there occasionally. Um, okay. So if, yeah, feel free. Uh, I, I Google Google around, and I'm out there because I've been a writer for more than 20 years now. So. Uh, there's also some new stuff from Washington Post, Religion News Service, all kinds of places. So okay. I, I'm around. Great. And Joey, uh, as always. Yes, uh, Twitter, Joey Avalos, and Facebook, Joey Avalos. Nice. You can find the show on Facebook at The AXPX, uh, Twitter, The AXPX, and online, uh, TheAXPX.com. If you're interested in the meetup I'm trying to do, uh, you can go to skeptic.org, and that's skeptic without the vowels. Um, all right, that's going to do it for this week's show. And thank all of you for, for listening. Our band today was uh, Les Sages. And maybe next week I'll know how to pronounce that and I'll fix, you know, let you guys know if I pronounced it right. But uh, <laughs> they're on Deep Elm Records. Definitely check out Deep Elm Records. They're an a independent record label that I feel uh, they've been around for quite some time. And uh, I just I feel like they're one of the, one of the few good record labels left. Uh, almost every one of their releases is awesome. And as I get new press releases and stuff like that. I uh, hope to feature more of their bands uh, throughout the year. And that's going to do it uh, for this this week's show. Um, I want to thank all of you again for listening. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Tell you how I feel